So this is a uh, cartoon from the New Yorker. And wh- whenever I saw this, it, it reminded me of, uh, of my, first, my first experience at finding out that there's something, something different about money. Um, my, <clears throat> my whole life, I, uh, I've always been a saver. I, I, you know, as, as a kid, I mowed yards. I did different jobs. I never really spent much. I kind of accumulated all this stuff. And then uh, after college, uh, my, my first year of, you know, having a real job, uh, there was a stock market boom, and I thought, oh, I'm going to put all this money to work in the stock market. I'm make all this money. It's going to be great. Um, well, my timing was amazingly bad. Um, that's been a re- repeating pattern for me on speculative things. But, um, I mean, it wasn't weeks after I put all this money in that I lost everything. Um, and uh, it, was, it was strange because... Uh, I mean, I couldn't sleep at night. Like, I, I mean, I felt like I lost a loved one or something. It was, it was awful. Uh, maybe you guys have experienced something like this. Um, but that was my first clue that, that there is something different about money. So uh, let me say a prayer for us, and then we'll start. Lord God, uh, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this church. Thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you. Lord, um, bless our time together. Uh, We thank you for your word to us and the power that your word has to change lives. Speak to us freshly, Lord, from your word this morning and cause us to leave here changed people because of it. Amen. So, good morning. My name is Dustin Johnson, for those of you I don't know, and my wife and I and our boys are members here at Covenant. I'm, I'm a deacon, and I serve on the mission committee, and I do some teaching in Men in the Word on Thursday mornings and the, uh, the caravan class at 9.30 on Sundays. And regrettably, I am the bearer of bad news. We are all infected with a disease that there is no cure This illness doesn't target bodily tissues. It goes right to the spirit or soul, what we call the the heart of a person. From there, it works its way out to devastating effect. This affliction impairs thinking so that a person becomes increasingly irrational, willingly trading joyfulness and peace in service of the disease. Like the beginnings of addiction, this pathogen finds a willing accomplice in its victim. In advanced stages, the infected one's perception of reality becomes so distorted that they can't see what is truly valuable and worthwhile. To use biblical language, they have eyes but do not see, have ears but do not hear. And friends, this disease is spiritually fatal. Those who've looked at their bulletins or know where we are in the sermon series know that we're talking about the idol of money. And I don't think I'm being too dramatic here. It's, it's fitting that I have been invited to preach on the topic of the idolatry of money. Love, power, career, these things I, I dabble 
in idolatry with. But here, I'm a specialist. The past 10 years have provided me much opportunity to reflect and, and wrestle with what it may mean to be faithful with our use of money. For those who don't know, I'm, I'm something of a, a platypus. That, that odd creature with a, a duck bill and fur that swims around laying eggs but nurses its young. When scientists first discovered these critters, they didn't quite know what category to put them in. They, uh, they're kind of like a reptile, but they're also a mammal. For, likewise, for the past decade, I've been a student of theology, and I've served in the church, while at the same time working in the villainous field of real estate investment. Just like the platypus, I assume, doesn't think that he is strange because he doesn't fit neatly into our, our human categories in the animal kingdom. I've never felt particularly odd um, serving in the church and working in real estate. But on more than one occasion, while I was a, a student at Fuller Seminary, when asked about my day job, I was made to feel a bit like Peter probably did when Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. This morning, we'll review just what we mean by idolatry. Then I'll explain why I think there's something special about money when compared with other things that we humans tend to worship. Next, we're going to take a look at the scripture passage for today. And um, we're going to see that it shows an opportunity of just what can be missed when wealth is our idol. Then I'll recount for you from my own personal experience the ugliness of what can happen when money is allowed to be the preeminent thing in our life. And lastly, we're going to end on a high note. I'm going to propose some, some ways forward. So first, idolatry. Idol worship was prevalent in the ancient Near Eastern world of the Bible. People were largely polytheistic. The Canaanites, Assyrians, Babylonians, all worshipped multiple gods. The Greeks and Romans had a whole pantheon of deities. And along with this worship, statues and images and little figurines would be made to, to represent this, this deity. And altars were built for the deity, and sacrifices were made to the deity. This is all what we would call literal idol worship. It's still around today, but it's, it's not likely that us Western-minded folks, um, we're not too tempted by this. The, the thing that we really tend to go in for is what we would call metaphorical idol worship. This category of idol is especially insidious because it's not obvious that you've got a problem unless you know what to look for. This is what Tim Keller in his Counterfeit Gods book refers to when he talks about counterfeit gods. He's talking about these metaphorical deities. He says, If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life, and identity, then it's an idol. These are always inherently good things that, that we build our life around. We make the center of our being. Interestingly, Jesus never speaks out against the sin of idolatry except in the case of money. Here he says, 
No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So what makes money stand out among idols? In essence, I believe money is a very little but very real part of what we call ourselves. Intelligence, time, energy, effort are all employed to earn money. Think about yourself performing any task for payment. You will use your your intellect to devise some plan for accomplishing the job. You'll devote time to doing it. You will expend energy to see it through to completion. All these things are little parts of what we call you, right? By doing the job, you are exchanging a part of you for payment. By recognizing money to be little pieces of us, it makes sense why God seems so preoccupied about our use of it. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. The message we get from Jesus is that money is extremely spiritually dangerous. We may feel a little squeamish to hear Jesus say, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Is this directed at us? You and me? Understandably, some have tried to lessen the the sharp point of this passage by claiming that the eye of the needle referred to a, a gate in Jerusalem and that Jesus is just being hyperbolic for effect. The camel is a real camel and the needle is a real needle. We can't dodge the implications of this. Or take the parable of the sower. It is the, the cares of the world and the lure of wealth that choke the growth of the good seed. In this teaching, Jesus says that a person can respond to God's call initially, even with enthusiasm, only to be enticed away by wealth later. With these things in mind, let's turn now to our scripture passage for this morning from Matthew chapter 19, uh, verses 16 through 22. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, Keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I've kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving for he had many possessions.
we can diagnose this man's condition as one of money idolatry. It could be that he trusts possessions to provide security. Maybe it's the comfort or social status that wealth provides that are closest to his heart. Or perhaps he earned all of his wealth and his sense of self-worth and pride are derived from it. Jesus tells this guy to liquidate his assets, give to charity, and heavenly treasure would be waiting for him. For me, this is perhaps the most heartbreaking verses in in all of scripture. This young man could not let go of the death grip that he had on his stuff to follow the Messiah, the King of Kings. Think what could have been. It was not just to anyone that Jesus said, follow me. This young man could have been a, a Paul or a Barnabas, used powerfully by God for the kingdom. He traded infinite, eternal reward for sitting at home with his stuff. We're not even told his name. Is anything holding you back? What would it be like if you let go? If you're like me, you'd be thinking to yourself right now that, that money and possessions have no hold on you. In, in Keller's Counterfeit God's book, he suggests following a few steps to self-diagnose this idolatry issue. First, look at your imagination. What do you daydream about? Second, consider how you spend your time and your money. This is the old uh, day planner and checkbook exercise. And finally, reflect on what are your most uncontrollable emotions. Does money bring you great joy? Fear? Deep anxiety? Well, it did me. I come to you this morning as one afflicted by reoccurring bouts of a particular strain of this disease called idolatry of money. My day job is running a real estate investment fund. We invest in property to lease to companies. We make these investments with capital supplied to us by folks like yourselves, often in the form of retirement savings. In return for our investment expertise, we receive a percentage of profits. Over a five-month period last year, I let myself be taken on a roller coaster ride of highs and lows that negatively affected not just my personal well-being, but also my family and my relationship with God. The whole episode revealed to me, shockingly, that money was more fundamental to my happiness than God. I had an idolatry problem. On June 12 of last year, one of our properties literally exploded. The property in question was a manufacturing facility near Houston Intercontinental Airport. We had leased this property to a company that works in the oil and gas industry. They had a a valve that failed on an acetylene tank, which is the, the gas used in welding, and it led to a fire and the tank exploding, 
setting off a chain reaction of other tanks exploding. It's a, it's a miracle no one was killed or injured. I mean, there were news helicopters in Houston. Like, it, it was rather exciting. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, now, for us as the property owner, insurance would cover the cost to rebuild the building. So there was no big financial impact for us from this, really. Um, and in fact, this would present a, a profit opportunity if I could seize it. My entrepreneurial spirit is awakened when I get a call from the president of this company that they would like for us to buy a new property for them and lease it back to them. At the time, um, distant memory for those in oil and gas today, but $100 a barrel oil was causing everyone to work at a frenetic pace. And every day that our tenant was not able to operate, they were losing money. So a property is quickly found, a purchase contract negotiated with the seller, who is also a, a developer. And the lease rate we agreed to with the tenant was very favorable for us. Altogether, this is a home run deal. This is turning lemons into lemonade times 10. This deal would provide substantial profits to our investors. And given the compensation structure of our fund, it would be a big payday for my partners and myself. I feel joy. Maybe, maybe elation. I'm on top of the world. Life is fantastic, and I am brilliant. <laughs> the colors are brighter. Flowers smell more fragrant. Any stress in life just fades into the background. I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but it, it doesn't last very long. <laughs> and in our case, not long at all. Um, a few days after closing, the power gets cut off to our building. The electric utility won't reconnect the electricity until our tenant gets a certificate of occupancy from the city. This is routine. It's um, nothing to worry about, I tell myself. However, when our tenant tries to get this certificate of occupancy, they are told by the city that they cannot be in that building because it is under construction. In our mad dash to purchase this property, we didn't verify the seller's representations that all construction permits had been closed out with the city. Turns out the developer had failed to get multiple city inspections, including some items that were now very difficult to inspect because they are underground with concrete poured on top. This was going to be a big problem. The emotion that best captures how I'm feeling at this moment is righteous indignation. Not that I had been lied to by the seller, but that the seller's incompetence is now going to jeopardize a huge financial gain for our fund, for our investors. It's the investors I care about. No, nothing so crass as my own financial profit. Over the next six weeks, we work feverishly to get this problem corrected. Multiple times, we're given false hope of an impending resolution only to have the hope dashed when some other city-required item is discovered. Mark Twain said, a man who carries a cat by the tail 
learns a lesson he can learn in no other way. (coughs) Those who have ever been enmeshed in the bowels of city bureaucracy will readily identify with that statement. During this time, I am an anxious mess. This problem at my work affects every part of my life. I have no patience with our kids, and I am continually unfair to them. I cannot sleep. Many nights, I go to the guest bedroom so I don't keep Amy awake all night. My mind is stuck in these repetitive thought patterns concerning the worst-case scenario that our tenant would give up on the property and terminate the lease, which they were entitled to do. In that event, we would be stuck with a very expensive, very large, empty building that we had no immediate use for but very immediate expenses associated with. <clears throat> this would translate for a fina- to a financial loss for our fund, for our investors. I recognize that the severity of my, my feelings associated with this were, were not rational. This event, should it come to pass, <clears throat> would not really have any financial impact on my family. Um, and even our fund, <clears throat> when you take this investment together with all the other investments in this fund, it would have minimal impact. And it irked me to realize how much this potential profit or loss had a hold on me. Then I realized I had to give this thing up to surrender whatever financial gain that I may receive if, if these building problems are ever resolved. In my mind at the time, I was thinking that this shouldn't really change how I feel about it that much because I don't have an idolatry problem. I would do it anyway, though, just to take this problem off the table. So I discussed this with a a ministry that Amy and I support about making um, an assignment of these profits interests to them, which uh, could be worth nothing or it could be worth a whole bunch at the time we didn't know. Um, and then something very odd happened I immediately felt peace for the first time since this crazy profit loss roller coaster started my small act of surrendering this potential windfall of money took the anxiety away and more than that now as things turned out, it, everything did come together. And hopefully, that money can be used productively for God's kingdom. And when I say small act, I, I do want to emphasize that. I, I gave out of abundance. Um, I did nothing heroic here. But that is also another surprising aspect of this. <clears throat> what sort of peace and trust would I have in God if I were to give greatly? So, where do we go from here? What are some solutions to this money idolatry problem? First, you have to recognize that it is just possible that you have a money idol issue. Like that proverbial frog in the water that starts to boil, our culture makes it very difficult to diagnose oneself with this condition. Keller says in his book, 
when we are completely immersed in a society of people who consider a particular idolatrous attachment normal, it becomes almost impossible to discern it for what it is. So firstly, you have to be open to the possibility that this could be an issue. Second, you must begin to see that money, possessions, educational degrees, successes that you have, are not entirely of your own making. We've all been gifted with intelligence, drive, and a society that allows opportunities for advancement. Taking full credit for all the blessing is nothing new. It's just the way that we humans are wired. Moses foresaw this. While the Israelites were still wandering around the desert as homeless refugees, in Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, it states, Do not say to yourself, My power and the might of my own hand have gained me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So, now, recognizing that it is at least theoretically possible that money idolatry could be an issue, and considering that the material blessings that you have are not all your own making. Now, third, become an active investor in heavenly treasure. Be a generous giver. Our use of money is one primary way that God chooses to partner with us in caring for this hurting, broken world. We're called to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, help the stranger, the widow, the fatherless. Idols can't be removed. They can only be replaced. If you begin to do these things, you will find liberation from the anxious striving that possessions in our culture tell us is what life is all about. I'm going to end our time together with a call to action. I'm fond of football metaphors, so here's, here's one. Too often churches are like a big football game. At the game, there are 22 people on the field that have gotten too much exercise and are exhausted, while there are thousands of folks sitting in the stands that desperately need to get some exercise. You need to get in the game. Surrender to God whatever is keeping you planted in the chair of life. Don't you know that you and I have the most exciting job in the kingdom? We are called to take the field. Our pastors here at Covenant are great, but they can't play the game for you. They're like the the coaches. They instruct, they motivate, but it's you and me that are turned loose out there. If there is breath in your body, it is not too late. Get in the game. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you love us, that you never give up on us. Lord, we thank you that you have gifted us with the ability to earn money. Lord, we pray 
that you will reveal to us just where our idolatrous attachments lie. Give us the courage, Lord, to surrender whatever is keeping us planted. In Jesus' name, amen.